Good morning. Everybody good? My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. That's where you are. That's where you're watching. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. I'm uh, now at the tail end of a sermon series entitled Lost. We're talking about what it means to uh, live uh, without Christ, as most of the world does. And I assume that many of you do not, and that makes all the difference. Um, Gosh, sing this with me. I've sung it all of my life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. I once was lost. Those are amazing words. I once was lost. I once was lost. Uh, I, I came to know the Lord. I, I, I was raised in the church. Most of you know that I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, I was raised to know the Lord. Uh, when I was four years old, I went to my Sunday school teacher one Sunday and said I wanted to be saved. And she said I was too young. And it made me so mad. I stomped my foot, I pointed my finger in her face and said, I'll do it when I'm six. Um, I, I, I got saved when I was six. Um, I didn't know a whole lot about lostness, to be honest. I, I had no testimony of sex, drugs, and rock and roll <laughs> at, at six. But I knew my sin. And, and I, again, I, I know it's, it, it, it was a, it, I was a child, and so my concept of everything was childish. But I gave everything that I knew of myself to everything that I knew of Jesus, and he saved me. I was six years old. I followed him in baptism after that. Um, and I've lived my life after him ever since. Uh, my life uh, at nearly 57 now um, has been a typical life, a lot like most of yours. Uh, I've gone through things. I've survived cancer. Uh, my wife and I have multiple miscarriages. Um, lots of hard times. Lots and lots of good times. Um, the Lord was with me the whole way. I'm one of those people that, that looks back at my life and I look at others and I don't know how they do it without Jesus. I don't know how they do it without Jesus. I, I can't imagine my life without him. I can't imagine my life without prayer. I can't imagine uh, my life if I couldn't trust in the forgiveness of my sins. I just can't imagine uh, standing at the end of my life facing death and not knowing where I would spend eternity. I, I can't imagine now life without Christ. And, and I wouldn't want anybody to be without Jesus. I want anybody to be without Jesus. Even so, um, not everybody comes to Jesus and, and not everybody's going to be saved. And that's hard. As, as much as I love people and love the world and want them to know Jesus, you have to understand God loves the world. God so loves the world. And, and God wants the whole world to be saved. But, but honestly, the, the whole world's not going to get saved. Um, why? 
If God wants that, and we assume that God is all-powerful, all He's sovereign, and of course He is, but God doesn't get everything that He wants because in the end, not everyone will be saved. And the simple reason for that is, since there's only one way to be lost, there's really only one way to be saved. And that is to confess Jesus as Lord and to want Him as your Savior. And lots of people just won't do that. Which brings us to Romans chapter 10. I want us to talk today about what it means to be saved. We've been talking about lostness. Let's talk about savedness. Is that a word? Savedness? Let's talk about being saved. Romans chapter 10. I want you to start with me in verse 5. Uh, and we'll read right through to verse 13. Romans chapter 10 verse 5. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and, and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What's, what's it like to be saved? There was a fighter pilot in World War II named Otto Fries. A dude was shot down four times, shot, shot out of the sky four times, and survived every time. His second story, second survival is the most amazing. Otto Fries was flying a, a mission at night and uh, was shot down. His left engine caught on fire, and he realized he was going to have to uh, e eject. Eject. He is in a plane that is now going down in flames, and his only hope of survival is to eject from the plane. So he has an ejector seat. He reaches down between his legs to find the lever, but he can't find the lever. Everything is confusing. He's in a plane that's going down in flames, heading straight down toward the earth. And so he remembered that he had a flashlight somewhere in his cockpit, and he starts, he starts fishing for the flashlight so that he can find the lever so that he can eject from the plane, right? And so finally he finds his flashlight, he finds the lever, he, he snaps the lever, and instantly he's shot out of the plane. Now, he was taught in school that whenever you're about to eject, the first thing you must do is, is put your head back, because if you don't, when the uh, ejector seat shoots out of the plane, it could snap your neck. Well, he fails to put his head back, so exactly what happens, it happens, he shoots out of the plane, and suddenly all of the muscles in his neck are torn, but, but he survives, he's still alive. And so now he's tumbling through the sky, tumbling toward the ground, still in this seat that he's strapped to, and he starts trying to find a way to, to undo the seatbelt, to release himself from the seat. He, he's still in the seat. 
tumbling through the air. He finds a seatbelt. He finally uh, unleashes himself, and now he's just in a free fall, flying toward the earth. He has no idea where he is. He has no idea where the ground is. He has no idea where the sky is. He's just tumbling and tumbling and tumbling. He finally gets enough of a presence of mind to try to feel where the clouds are. And sure enough, he can begin to feel the moisture. He can begin to sense the clouds around him. And he realizes he must be at about 1,200 meters. He pulls the strap on his parachute. The parachute opens, and suddenly... He's making a slow descent to the ground, a slow descent. He realizes all of a sudden that he's going to live, that he's going to make it. He floats slowly to the ground. His feet strike the earth. His knees buckle. He lands face down in the grass. He raises up. He looks. He's in a cow pasture, and his head is exactly 12 inches from a wet pile of manure. And that's when he says to himself, I must be the luckiest man in the world. I must be the luckiest man in the world. And it is at that moment when Otto Fries realizes that he is alive, he's going to live. That's what it's like to be saved right there. That's what it feels like to be saved. You have to understand that one way or another, your life was like a plane going down in flames. Do you understand that? One way or another. The funny thing is, my watch is calling 911 right now, and I don't know why. <laughs> but my life is like a plane going down in flames. <laughs> I'm going to stop and tell emergency services that I'm okay, if, if y'all don't mind. There you go. Provide some detail. I fell, but I'm okay. That is so funny. I was just telling this story. Uh, I did not fall. Y'all think Siri hurt, like thought I was telling, like, yeah, that's so crazy. Okay, please, back with me now. One way or another, yeah, isn't that bizarre? The whole time I was saying, you know, flying through the air, my alarm was going off. I was trying to stop it, and my phone was caught. My watch was calling 911 because it thought I was falling. One way or another, your life was like this sermon is going down in flames, actually. What? One way or another, your life was like a plane going down in flames. Uh, This is what it means to be lost. This is exactly what it's like to be lost. Now, I'm not saying that as a lost person, you can't fly high for for some period of time. I'm not saying that, that as a lost person, you can't have a good life. Honestly, there is so much common grace in the world. I mean, the rain falls upon the just and the unjust, and everything God made is just still so good. And life is just so good because it is still the world that God made. And I'm telling you, there is just still so much goodness that that everybody experiences because God is just so good. But, But I'm telling you, one way or the other, if you don't know Jesus, one way or the other, if you don't somehow be rescued from this lostness into which you've been born, if that never happens to you, your life is headed for disaster. It's headed for disaster. I I know most of you in this room and most of you in the sound of my voice, you know what it is to be saved. You know what I'm talking about. As I said from the beginning of this series, the whole Bible from the very beginning is really the story of God's calling us back. 
The, the Bible itself is the story of the fall, but then after that, God's adventure, God's entire story of redemption, God's bringing lost people back to him, the sons and daughters of, of, of Adam and Eve. The whole Bible tells that story. And so let me just, well, I've already blown this sermon. Let me just stop and, and, and say, if the whole Bible tells this story and you're a saved person, and a moment ago when I said, I don't understand how people live without Jesus, everybody in this room is going, yeah, that's right, I don't understand how people live without Jesus. Well, I also don't understand how saved people can wag their head and say, I don't understand how people live without Jesus, but then you never do anything to tell people about Jesus. You know, I, I also don't understand how you can say you know Jesus and that you don't understand how people live without Jesus, but then you don't ever tell anybody about Jesus. You see, see, that's the thing. If you really know Christ yourself, if you really know what it is to live with the power of his spirit, if you really know what it is to pray and know that he hears you when you pray, if you really know the forgiveness of sins, if you really know peace in the midst of every storm, if you really know hope on the other side of death, then how in the world can you not want other people to know that? How in the world can you not want other people to experience that peace? Is Jesus real to you or is he not real? Is your salvation real to you or is it not real? Are you serious about any of this or are you not serious? I just think if you're a believer, you should be able to take the Bible and tell somebody else how to know Jesus. And if you can't do that, there's really something that's missing. You really need to figure this out. Are you serious or not serious? And most of this sermon series I've been preaching through the book of Romans. Romans is a good place to understand how to explain salvation because that's what Paul is doing. Paul is writing the book of Romans to saved people trying to help them understand what happened to them, how to explain it, how to explain the fact that everybody's saved in the very same way. And so Paul in the book of Romans really lays it out very clearly. So right now, with me, open your Bible, get out a pen. I'm serious, get a pen, a tube of lipstick, whatever you got, a crayon, a magic marker, whatever you've got. Uh, let's underline some verses in your Bible so that you can do this. Start with Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans 3, 23. Turn to that verse. Romans 3.23. I'm saying it over and over so you'll learn to remember Romans 3.23. This is where you can start if you want to explain to somebody how they can know Jesus. Romans 3.23. Underline this verse and put a number one beside it. Put a number one. Because this is the first verse you need to go to. What does it say? Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all sin. Remember, I just said everybody gets saved the same way because everybody's lost in the same way. We're lost because we're sinners. We all have the very same problem, and that's why we all get saved in the very same way. There's only one answer to your sin, and that is the sacrifice of Jesus. Everyone has sinned. That means I've sinned, you've sinned. Everybody is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's Romans 3.23. Underline that and put a number one beside it. Now turn to Romans 6. Romans 6.23. This is your next verse. If you're trying to explain to somebody what the gospel is about, go from Romans 3.23 to Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is, say it, death. 
the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned, and the wages of sin is death. What are wages? Wages are something you earn, right? If you work all week long, at the end of the week, you hope to get your paycheck. That's your wages. That's what you've earned by working. That's what you've got coming to you because you've worked. The wages of sin is death. What sin earns you is death. What you've got coming to you as a sinner is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The free gift of God through Jesus. How does that happen? Turn back to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Underline Romans 5, 8 and put a 3 beside it. This is the third verse you want to go to. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us. And that while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death means what? Somebody's got to die. But God was not willing that you should die. God was not willing that any of us should die. God was not willing that any single one of us would perish. And so what does he do? He sends his son Jesus to die in our place. It's the most amazing thing. That, my friend, is the gospel. And I go to Romans chapter 10, where we are this morning. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 is really the essential verse. This is the critical verse. This tells you exactly how a person gets saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Underline that. And be able to say, if you openly declare, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, what? You might be saved. No, you will be saved. You will be saved if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now jump down to Romans 10, 13, last one, underline this verse. For everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See how easy that is? Just how easy, that's the gospel right there. Underline those verses, number those. If you can go to those verses in that order, you can walk somebody right through the plan of salvation. This is God's plan of salvation. And, and it's that easy. That, that, that's how a person gets saved. Now, let's look at Romans chapter 10, where we are this morning. It's really interesting to me. Because as easy as it is for me to take the New Testament and tell somebody how to be saved... Understand, Paul didn't have the New Testament. I mean, actually, I mean, technically, Paul was still writing his part of the New Testament right here. So Paul can't just turn to a New Testament passage. He can't you know, go to the Gospel of John, for, for example. There wasn't a New Testament. There was only the Old Testament. And so you'll notice when Paul writes, when Paul explains salvation, Paul goes back to the Old Testament. Now this is important because for the most part, Paul is trying to explain how it is that God's plan of salvation flows right out of the Old Testament. How it's all in one piece. The death of Jesus was not plan B because the law didn't work, because the Ten Commandments didn't work. The law was never meant to be a plan of salvation. The Ten Commandments were never going to save anybody. But when you start right here where we are, Romans chapter 10 verse 5, understand, Paul here is sort of quoting an Old Testament passage that all of the Jews would know. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 30. So turn back there with me. Deuteron- I don't hear pages turning. It makes me nervous. Deuteronomy chapter 30. 
Look at this verse, because honestly, if you don't understand, if you don't know that Romans chapter 10, verse 5, 6, and 7 are coming from this verse, you'd never understand what he's talking about in Romans chapter 10, verses 5, 6, and 7. Back in Deuteronomy, this is Moses writing. He's talking about the law, the law of God. And this is what he says. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you, and it is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, who go up to heaven and bring it down for us? It's not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, who crossed the sea and bring it to us so we can hear it and obey? No. The message is very close at hand. It's on your lips. And it's in your heart. You see that? Now, go back now to Romans chapter 10 verse 5 and realize how Paul is bouncing back and forth to that passage. Romans chapter 10 verse 5. This is where I started today. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven. Realize, he's going back to Deuteronomy. The whole idea is salvation is not placed beyond your reach. It's not placed so high that you can't get to it or so low that you can't get to it. Faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who'll go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth, and don't say who'll go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. Paul's quoting the Old Testament there. You with me? So then Paul goes on. The message, your salvation is not too far away. It's not by keeping the law that you can't possibly keep. It's not out of your reach at all. It's as close as your own mouth. It's as near to you as your own heart. So Paul says, if you will, confess with your mouth. You understand where that goes? So if you will confess with your mouth. It's as close as your mouth. So if you will confess with your mouth, what? That Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. It's as close as your own heart. Paul's quoting the Old Testament here. Y'all with me? So if you believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you will be saved. I love that. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, understand, salvation depends upon a radical decision you make about Jesus. And that radical decision is right there. If you openly declare, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord. Now, Paul is using this phrase. It's, it's the earliest Christian confession of faith. Jesus is Lord. A couple of years ago, when Casey and I were uh, touring the Mediterranean, we came to one of the old Roman Colosseums. It was amazing, ancient uh, stadium. As we walked through the big main gate, there was a, a, a giant gate, and over it was this giant stone carved with letters that said very plainly, Caesar is Lord. Over the stages you walked in, Caesar is Lord. In the ancient Roman Empire, that was the political slogan. That's what everybody had to say, and that's what everybody said, Caesar is Lord. So here, Paul is causing everyone to realize that there is no one higher, there is no other name, there is no other Lord but Jesus. Jesus is Lord. 
So it's not just a political statement. It's also a, it's a religious statement. It's to say that Jesus is, is God. I mean, to say he's Lord means to say that he is God. He is the Lord God. So honestly, salvation depends upon a radical decision you make about Jesus. It is to say, Jesus is my Lord. It's, it, it's a confession. Jesus is Lord. To say that he is Lord is not just to say some magic words. It's not just to mouth something to repeat after the preacher and then, you know, hot dog, you're saved. No, to say this with your mouth implies that you believe it. I mean, you've got to want Jesus. You've actually got to believe what it is that your mouth is saying. To say that Jesus is my Lord means to say that I recognize he has the authority to command my life. You see that? He's my Lord. He's my master. He's the boss of me. So it is this surrender, this this ultimate surrender that just says, I I now declare and I recognize that Jesus is God. He has the authority to command my life. From this moment on, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. You, You with me? So if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart one thing, one thing. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. So understand, to be saved you must believe one thing and one thing only, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. You have to believe that. That's the only thing you absolutely have to believe. Everything else we can disagree on, believe it or not. You, you, can, you cannot believe a whole lot of things I believe, and you could still you know, see me in heaven. Because the only thing you have to believe is that Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is the living Lord because he's raised from the dead. You have to believe that God raised him from the dead. I think this is so important. Because I run into people all the time these days that say, yeah, Pastor Tim, I don't think I could be a Christian because, because personally I believe in science. I believe in evolution. Well, so? I mean, so? To become a Christian requires that you make zero decisions about evolution. Your opinion about evolution is not going to keep you out of heaven or get you into heaven. It's beside the point. Your salvation is based upon one belief, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. Well, Pastor, I don't know if I, I could be a Christian because, you know, um, my, my daughter is a lesbian. So? So? I'm just telling you, so? To be saved doesn't require that you make any sort of decision about anybody's sexuality or gender expression or politics or anything else you can name. What are you talking about? Now, the problem is, as church people, we go out there and we have a whole lot more things to say about politics than we have to say about Jesus. We've created this mess. We've created the mess where the whole world doesn't really know what the gospel is because we talk about so much other stupid stuff. We go out as if the gospel is a message about sexuality. The gospel is a message about Jesus. We're supposed to confront the world with the decision they must make about Jesus, but we muddy the waters. Most of you spend all week long saying the name Biden or the name Trump or Pelosi. You you say so many other names, but you never really mention the name of Jesus. So I can understand why the people around you don't know the gospel. You have so many opinions and so many things that you insist people agree with you on. 
This makes you kind of a lousy evangelist. Because we have one message, it's the gospel. And there's one thing that we have to preach, and that is Jesus, risen from the dead. That's what Paul says. Paul says, I have one message, I preach one thing, it's Christ and him crucified. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And the decision people have to make is a radical decision about Jesus. That decision itself is radical enough. Let's don't make it harder than it's supposed to be. Don't have to change political parties to become a Christian. I mean, what are you talking about? It doesn't really matter who's in the White House. It's beside the point. What matters is who's on the throne of your heart. You have to believe the resurrection of Jesus. Well, Pastor Tim, I, I believe that Jesus was a good teacher. I believe that, that he has some really good things to say. Um, but the resurrection part, I, I don't, you know, there are a lot of people who believe that Jesus was an historical teacher, um, an important figure, but they would have trouble with the whole, you know, empty tomb part, the, the resurrection from the dead. I'm saying you got to believe that. Honestly, if you can't believe resurrection, then I don't know at that point what you would believe about a God at all. If you don't believe in a God who can do things we can't do, if you don't believe in a God who has power over death, then what kind of power has he got that's going to help me with anything else? I mean, death is the big problem, right? Sin and death are it. And if the God you're talking about doesn't have power over sin and death, then he can't help us. So so I really don't know exactly what the importance of faith is if it doesn't lack this kind of power because it takes power to save us. It takes power to change us. And that power is demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus. This is God's supreme act in history that he raises Jesus from the dead. This is what sets Jesus apart from all of the other good teachers. All the other good teachers, they died and they stayed dead. Confucius lived, he died, and he stayed dead. Understand? Muhammad, he lived, he died, he stayed dead. But it is Jesus and Jesus alone who died and then came back to life. And it's in that resurrection that we see God's own sanction, God's own testimony that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus can do what he says he can do because Jesus has conquered death. You must believe in Easter. You must believe in the resurrection of Jesus. This isn't a myth. This isn't some, something symbolic. He, he lives on in our hearts. But no, he lives on whether or not he's in your heart at all. He lives. You believe in the resurrection of Jesus. This is the gospel, and it's the only thing you've got to believe, but you've got to believe that. So anybody who says, well, you know, I don't really, I don't think it matters what you believe as long as you're sincere. Good luck with that. I mean, people believe stupid stuff, and that just makes them sincerely stupid. I mean... Do you know what I'm saying? You can't just believe anything you want to believe and be sincere because you can be sincerely wrong. But you must be right about the resurrection of Jesus. That's it. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're being made right with God. It's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. 
I love that. I love that. It's just so simple. Verse 13, what does it say? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Period. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah, but what if their lives are really messy? If they call upon the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. What if they got some sexual issues? If they call upon the name of the Lord, he'll save them. You know? And, and we have this bad habit of kind of wanting everybody to clean up, you know, before they get saved. Like, you know, like you were in the bar last night, you can walk in there and get saved today. Yeah, that's exactly how that works. That's exactly how that works. It doesn't so much matter what you did last night. God's going to save you today if you call upon his name. You know, well, Pastor Tim, I, I, I would, I'd love to be a Christian, but I feel like I need to get my life straightened out first. Okay, can I tell you some good news? You can't do it without him, and you're not expected to try. Just go ahead and get saved. You know, to say I'm going to straighten out my life before I get saved, that's like saying I'm going to clean up myself before I take a bath. No, no, no. Whatever needs to be straightened out, cleaned up, you know, uh, whatever work needs to be done in your life, Jesus is going to do that once you give your life to him. Just give your life to him. Everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I, I love that. It's, it, it's, it's just that simple. Now, it's not so much that I'm adding a hoop to jump through, but I just remind you that it sort of does... It depends upon the fact that you sooner or later have to give up believing that you can do this without him. You, you, you can't save yourself. You know, so without surrendering your life to Jesus, you, you can't be saved. You, you have to give up thinking that you're going to do this by just being a good person. Because you're not that good and you can't be that good. Because the standard is not like being better than other people. The standard is, is, is God's own perfect holiness. And by that standard, you will always fall short. You, you can't save yourself. You're not saving yourself just by coming to church on Sunday. You're not saving yourself just by trying to be a really good parent. You, you, know, you're, you're, you can't save yourself. You, you can't save yourself. You've got to sooner or later recognize that you can't do it without Jesus. So a, a while back, there was a hijacking on an airplane that was coming out of the Philippines. And this guy was amazing. He had this amazing plan. He had a gun and a grenade and a plan. So he got on the plane somehow. And, 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 he, and after the plane was in the air, he hijacked it. Took it over, there were like 278 passengers plus like 13, I think, on the crew. So once he had them in the air, he had his gun and his grenade and his plan. He robbed them all. He robbed them all in the air. Took, took all their belongings, all their valuables, put it in a backpack. I mean, this guy had a, a gun and a grenade and a plan. He robbed the crew. I mean, he robbed them all. And then, just like a movie, he went over to the plane and he opened the hatch and he turned back like a movie, and he sort of made this snide little smile, and he, and he did this. And he jumped out of the plane. Whoa. An amazing getaway. I mean, it's just an amazing plan. I, I mean, and he got away with it. Except he really didn't get away, because they found his dead body outside a village east of Manila. He was wrapped up in, like, bed sheets and rope from home. Because this guy with the gun, and true story, a gun and a grenade in this plan, 
His plan involved making his own parachute at home out of bed sheets and pieces of rope. Okay, I don't know if any would-be hijackers in the room today, but can I just say a parachute is something you don't make at home. You just don't, you know? And along the same lines, I'm just saying your salvation is not something that you're going to make at home. Your salvation is not something that you're ever, ever going to make for yourself. And as the scripture says, it involves confession, and that's, a, that's kind of a churchy word, confession. What does it mean? You must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You must confess your sins, we say. Well, what does it mean to confess? Confess simply means, if you, if you divide the word into parts, con means together. Fess has to do with to speak, so it just means to say together, to, to say with. So confess means to say together, to, to say with. So the idea has to do with uh, agreement. So in the first hand, to confess means to agree, to agree with God. So when we're talking about your own sin, you must come to the place where you just agree with God that you're a sinner. You just have to agree with what God says about your life, about your lostness, about the hopelessness of your ever doing this without him. You agree with God. And the first thing you agree with God about is your own sin. I know this gets sticky for people because you're thinking, Pastor Tim, you know, uh, I'm a sinner, but I'm not sure I'm done sinning. Because you're thinking that confession means like that there's, you know, you're going to have to feel bad about it. And some of you don't feel bad about your sin. I don't, I'll be honest, I don't feel bad about all, I mean, sin is fun. And if you don't think sin is fun, you're doing it wrong. I'm just being serious. That, that some people are just waiting for this moment when they feel bad or, or, or everything goes down in flames. And, and I'm telling you, this is the beauty and in some ways the difficult part of confession because you're just agreeing with God. You're going to end up confessing sins that you don't even feel bad about, but you're just going to agree with God because God says that it's outside the boundaries of, of the life he intends for you. And for that reason, you just begin to agree with him. He's your Lord, right? So because he's the Lord, I recognize he has the authority to command my life. So if he's saying no, I'm not going to turn around and say yes. I'm going to align my life. I'm going to bring my life into agreement with what God says. So the first thing you confess is your sin. And then the second thing, and these are very, very different. You confess your sin. Then you confess your faith in Christ. What does it mean to confess your sin, but also to confess your faith? Again, to confess means to say with. And, and there's often this sense of, of a public declaration. To confess. Notice the New Living Translation says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord. There's a factor here of sort of going public with it. Because I know some of us would like this, this option of salvation where we can just sort of have Jesus but keep it all to ourselves. And that's not how it works. When you have that kind of power in you, you're not going to keep it all inside. It's not going to be a secret. If you have his kind of love now in your heart, people are going to notice your salvation is not simply a private thing. I would say it this way. To put your faith in Jesus means to realize who he is and then decide who he is to you. See, that's two different things. 
To say, oh, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he died for the sins of the world. That's one thing. It's another thing to say, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he died for my sins. He's not just the Savior of the world. He's my Lord and Savior. See, that's different. Decide who Jesus is. Decide who he is to you. Then begin publicly living out of this new relationship. You begin now a, a brand new life in Christ. You are publicly living everything out of this relationship. When Jesus takes over your life, it's not that now you're just, you're the same person, only you're also now a church person. So you live like hell all week long, but then on Sunday you go to church. No, no. Your whole life is now brought into alignment. Your whole life is defined and dominated by the very power and grace of Jesus. You're going to live your whole life now publicly. I mean, if people are going to know, you're going to live it out of this relationship. If Jesus is now the Lord of your life, he's the Lord of every single day of your life, every moment of your life, every aspect of your life. You're going to be a different kind of wife. You're going to be a different kind of husband. You're going to be a different kind of boss. You're going to be a different kind of student. Everything changes. There's a before and there's an after. And what happens in between is Jesus. To put your faith in Jesus means to realize who he is, decide who he is to you, and then begin publicly living out of this new relationship. Romans 10, 13. It's just one of the simplest verses in all the Bible. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, he saves you when you call. Now, I'm not saying there's a magic prayer. Sometimes Baptists have gotten a bad reputation because the preacher would say, okay, now, every head bowed, every eye closed, you know? And then I would say, repeat after me. And I would lead you in like a sinner's prayer, and you'd repeat after me. And, and I'm not saying that people, a lot of people haven't gotten saved that way, but, but we sometimes gave the impression that there's a magic prayer. You pray this prayer, these words after me, and boom, magically you get saved. No, there's no magic prayer. There aren't any magic words. There's no particular ritual that you have to enact somehow in order to get saved. You know? and, and if you don't do it exactly right or if you don't do it in the right church, if you do it wrong, you won't save you. No, it's really simple. You just call on him. You just call on him. For most of us, that's a prayer. You know, I've seen people saved. I've seen people saved right in front of me. Before they ever prayed, I watched it happen. Because it's a heart thing. It happens in the heart. That moment when they believe, that moment when they surrender. If you look at them in the eyeball, sometimes you can watch it happen. And it's even before the prayer happens. I'm saying there's not a magic prayer. It's just something turns in your heart. And that something turns toward Jesus. And Jesus saves you when your heart calls upon him. Every time, everybody. Some of you right now, you've called yourself a Christian. But now this, this sermon makes you question. Don't make something really, really hard that God has made really, really simple. Did, did you call on his name? Did you want him? Do you want him now? Is Jesus, your Lord and Savior, do you believe that God raised him from the dead? If you've called on his name, he saved you. Don't doubt. Don't doubt. If, if you've called upon his name and, and, and in all seriousness you, you surrendered your life to him and now you wonder if he saved you, if he didn't save you, he'd be making himself a liar. Don't make something hard that God makes very, very simple. Everyone has sinned. 
We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't know. I don't know how people live without Jesus. But all I know is, because of what Christ has done, they don't have to. But we do need to tell them. If he's in your heart, if he saved you, surely you want that same gift for all the people in your life. How can you not tell them? How can you make something so beautiful, something so free, something so difficult? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe it. And then tell people. Pray with me.